everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and it is my duty and honor to welcome you back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Boy, it's uh, just been a doozy of a past couple of weeks, and more on the horizon. What to talk about? Let's see. All right, there's this. As I believe I may have mentioned at some point in the past, I manage a movie theater that sells beer and popcorn. It's a repertory theater. And the other day, I was looking at our theater listing, and some of the movies end up getting abbreviated. The Lego Batman movie got abbreviated to Lego BM, which amused me to no end. See, I'm still amused at it, so it hasn't ended. Lego BM. Whew. Sounds painful. Stop eating so many Legos, buddy. Come on. Come on. All right. That's enough of that. We got a lot to unpack with this next issue, so without any further ado, let's ado this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Molly Hayes Hernandez. Raven overuses manipulation, but that is the way of her home nation. Is she ever gonna stop doing this? Find out in this synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Molly. Defenders number 11. February 1973. A dark and stormy night. Written by Steve Englehart. Trotted by Sal Buscema. With inks by Frank Bole. Defenders roll call. Doctor Strange. The Incredible Hulk. Namor. The Silver Surfer. Valkyrie. Hawkeye. And... The Return of the Black Knight. Previously in The Defenders. When returning from some of their interdimensional shenanigans, the Defenders got stuck in a mystical realm where they bumped into that Anglophile Avenger, Dane Whitman, the Black Knight. Dane teamed with the Defenders for a minute, but then he fucked up and got himself turned into a stone statue by Amora the Enchantress. Bad move, Dane. The Defenders vowed to restore their petrified pal at their soonest possible convenience. Then they forgot about him for a few months. The statuified superpal returned to the forefront of their minds when the flame-headed extra-dimensional Uberdush Dormammu teamed up with the Norse god of General Fuckery Loki to trick our stalwart non-team of heroes into unwittingly doing Dormammu's bidding. The defenders were duped into disassembling the diabolical device called the Evil Eye, which they believed was the only way to refleshify their anachronistic acquaintance, but Dormammu wanted to use for universe-conquering reasons of his own. Things seemed to be looking pretty rosy for Team Evil, but Loki soon realized that Dormammu's plans for universal conquest were not entirely compatible with his own. The devious deity of Norse ne'er-do-wells tricked his old enemies, the Avengers, into attempting to thwart the defenders. This led to a whole kerfuffle we like to call the Avengers-Defenders War. For further information on the Avengers Defenders War, consult your local library, or every other episode of this podcast for the last, I don't know, 50 years or so. At least it seems that way. But for the Super Cliff Notes version, the Avengers fought the Defenders, the Defenders won. Dormammu took the evil eye and used it to make the universe go all kooky. The Avengers, Defenders, and Loki fought Dormammu. Dormammu lost. Loki was driven mad. Doctor Strange took the evil eye. The evil eye looks like a robotic vagina jammed onto the end of a recorder. God, Zooks! Now that he possesses the evil eye, will Steve wield that power with restraint and humility? During their recent globe-spanning adventures, did our heroes learn anything about respecting other cultures? And, after defeating the Avengers, Dormammu, and an entire universe gone mad, what manner of being could possibly be powerful enough to defeat the Defenders? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Well, seeing as the first thing he uses it for is mind-wiping the entire universe... I'm gonna say no. <sighs> um, 
I think I'm going to have to edit out about 15 minutes of me sighing and shaking my head sadly here, but no. No, they clearly have not. And a gnome. Nick Fury is having a pretty rough day. I mean, I guess the whole universe is having a pretty rough day, seeing as Dormammu just turned the place into a nightmarish hellscape and more or less wrecked the joint. But even with that admittedly low bar for normalcy, Nick Fury is having a pretty rough day. He's recovering from a gnarly head injury. He just spent all afternoon fighting citizens who had been transformed into monsters, but not fighting them too hard on account of they're still citizens and all. And now that everything is back to more or less normal, he can't seem to find anyone who will accept his thanks. He tries to tell the Scarlet Witch that humanity owes her a debt for her role in Dormammu thwarting, but the crimson-clad conjurer tells him that humanity can go fuck itself. You know, because humanity's kind of a dick to mutants and all, and she's a mutant. Nick then turns the sights of his gratitude gun onto the defenders, but before he can even finish his first sentence, Steve Strange interrupts him and is like, Actually, Nick, I'd prefer it if you weren't bugging us all the time, so I'm just going to erase all memories of the defenders' existence from your mind. That's cool with you, right? <laughs> it is now. Man, some days it just does not pay to be a gruff, straight-talking, one-eyed World War II sergeant who's been injected with an eternal youth serum and inexplicably promoted to be the head of the most powerful international espionage agency in the world. Am I right? Anyway, erasing Fury's memory was so much fun that Steve decides to go ahead and use his newly evil-eye augmented abilities to do that little Men in Black trick on the whole dang universe while he's at it. Not only that, but what the heck, may as well restore the entire cosmos to the condition it had been before Dormammu decided to make his renovations. Why not? I mean, it'd sure suck to lose your security deposit on a place like the Earth's dimension. And just like that, before you can say Duzex Machina, everything's back to normal, and nobody remembers that the Defenders saved them from a terrifying threat that they themselves had instigated. How noble. Steve magnanimously agrees to let the Avengers remember what happened, for which they are surprisingly grateful. I guess it pays to be polite to a dude who can rewrite reality to suit his whims, so fair enough. Steve teleports the Defenders back to his Sanctum Sanctorum so they can watch as he gets to work trying to de-statuify the Black Knight. Steve turns to the gang and is like, It's cool that I erased the memory of our existence from everyone in the universe's mind, right? I mean, I would have asked, only I didn't feel like it. Everyone assures him that, yeah, yeah, that, that's totally cool. The coolest. I guess it's true what they say. Wielding a device of near-infinite cosmic power means never having to say you're sorry. Anyway, Steve goes all astral and pops into Limbo to retrieve the Black Knight's soul and pop it back into his body. Only, when he gets to the place where Dane's soul had been hanging out the last time they talked, the spectral super swordsman is nowhere to be found. See kids, it's like I always told you, if you're in Limbo and you get separated from your Sorcerer Supreme, just stay put. Don't go wandering around looking for them. Just find the nearest information kiosk and have them paged. It's basic Limbo safety. Also, make sure you have your tiny pliers with you, and uh, steer clear of anyone who has a giant ring shaped like their own head. You're gonna want to trust me on that one. Steve pops back to the Sanctorum to tell his non-teammates the bad news, but as soon as he arrives, the entire room is enveloped in a sorcerous glow, and our heroes suddenly find themselves transported to a new and unfamiliar setting. But where have the Defenders been sent? Or should I say, when have the Defenders been sent? I should, I should say, when have the Defenders been sent? Because it's a, it's a time travel thing. I mean, I guess where is also a fair question, because there was also a distance travel thing involved, but probably the temporal displacement is, is a little more significant. You see, the Defenders suddenly find themselves in the Middle East in the 12th century. Oh, shit. 1100s, the Middle East. That means... <sighs> yep, it's the Crusades. And guess whose side they're on? Well, fuck. The Defenders see their old buddy Dane Whitman. 
They say hello for a second, and then we see the Defender's other old buddy, who is kind of the co-star of this issue. Racism! The Defenders are attacked by a group of extras from the set of Aladdin who are yelling shit like, Kill the infidels. So, there's that. Hulk starts smashing and his non-teammates join in. Things are going pretty poorly from a cultural relations standpoint for pretty much everyone involved, but in terms of smashing, pretty well for the Defenders. Then they are attacked by... Temax. Temax appears to be an eight-foot-tall, gray, monstrous Robert Blake who has been slightly modocked which is to say his head takes up about a third of his body. It's not a great look. Steve recognizes the creature as a gnome made of living stone, but way bigger. The 12th century big head version of Beretta is also crazy powerful. He shrugs off blasts from the Silver Surfer and the seemingly nigh-omnipotent Doctor Strange like it ain't no thing. Then he backhands the shit out of the Hulk. Deciding that a strategic retreat might be the best option, Steve teleports the gang a few miles outside of town to talk things over and have Dane Whitman fill them in on a heapin' helpin' of exposition. Okay, Black Knight, what gives? The cosplaying crusader starts off by explaining his origin story. Dane's ancient ancestor, the original Black Knight, was murdered by Mordred during King Arthur's reign. During the collapse of Camelot, Merlin cast a spell that jammed the OGBK's soul into Dane and kind of mashed their spirits up together. Okay, now their merged souls are on an eternal quest to seek vengeance against Mordred, who is dead, but I guess is now some kind of time-traveling ghost or something. Sure, let's keep this Exposition Express chugging along. Mordred popped into Crusade times for some reason and decided to help King Richard the Lionhearted's sinister brother, Prince John. You know, the bad guy from the Disney Robin Hood, only this one isn't a lion for some reason, which is lame. Anyway, Mordred and John teamed up with a local wizard named Chandu, who is the guy who controls the gnome. The three of them get John's brother, King Dick, thrown in an Arabian prison, which honestly seems like a pretty good place for him, seeing as the dude is spearheading a murderous fundamentalist land grab. But seeing as the dude has long blonde hair, I guess he's the good guy, so whatever. Merlin's spell yoinked Dane out of limbo so as he could fuck with Mordred's shit, and since Steve was looking for Dane, somehow the defenders got swept up in the magic as well. Got it? Yeah, me neither, but let's proceed. The Defenders decide to do a jailbreak and bust Dick Lionheart out of the pokey. The seven superheroes all don hooded robes and stroll into the fortress. Everyone assumes that they are priests who I guess have been given free run of the place, even if those priests are nine-foot-tall, bulky green dudes. Once inside the fortress, the Septet of Shrouded Sneaks splits into two teams, with the original Defenders, Hulk, Steve, and Namor, heading off to find and thwart Shandu and his gnome, and Val, Dane, Hawkeye, and the Surfer heading off to the dungeon to liberate Dick. Unfortunately, Steve's party soon runs into some guards who are somehow able to see through the Hulk's clever disguise. If only trench coats and fedoras had been invented. Oh well. The three super beings manage to quickly subdue the guards, but not before the alarm goes out to the rest of the stronghold. Oops. Meanwhile, the quartet of other defenders has reached the bowels of the dungeon and managed to free a disoriented Dick Lionheart from his shackles. But no sooner do they take their first step towards freedom than they are besieged by not just one gnome, but three of the gruesome gargoyle goliaths. Oh shit. Well, maybe gnomes are like ninjas, you know, where one of them's super powerful, but if you have a bunch of them, they seem exponentially easier to defeat? Is that the deal with gnomes too? Yeah, not so much. The trio of homely homunculi quickly KO the surfer and Hawkeye. Val struggles, well, valiantly, but is soon overpowered. 
With her last ounce of strength, she manages to toss the Black Knight his ebony blade, which she has been using ever since their last encounter back in that mystical realm place in issue 4. When Dane is reunited with his magic blade, he feels the power of it course through him. He feels complete for the first time since this adventure began. Reinvigorated and brimming with confidence, he attacks the gnomes with newfound zeal and sense of purpose. And they punch him in the head and knock him the fuck out. Hooray! Meanwhile, in a different chamber of the castle, Steve, Namor, and the Hulk have located the lair of Shandu the Sorcerer. Shandu is hanging out with Mordred and John, and is in the process of summoning even more of the macrocephalic menaces that just clobbered their comrades. Shandu zaps the shit out of Steve. Namor leaps into the fray and acquits himself pretty admirably. He's on the verge of being overpowered by the gnomes when he stumbles across a rare bit of good fortune. Turns out this particular chamber of the fortress has an oasis in it. Like, with palm trees and everything. Weird. But, okay. Namor and the gnome, who had been attacking him, tumble into the water, which not only renews the submariner's strength, but also has a surprising effect on his assailant. The water just straight up melts the gnome, Wicked Witch style. Huh. Well shit, this here battle just turned into a splash fight. And none may oppose the true submariner when it comes to a splash fight. Not Rocky and Apollo Creed in that one scene in Rocky 3. Not Sean Connery and Christopher Lambert in that one scene in Highlander. Nobody. Namor splashes the shit out of the whole castle, and all the gnomes melt. Hooray! In the aftermath of the fight, shitty old non-lion Prince John picks up the evil eye and is about to start blasting, when suddenly, the eye's original owner, Prester John, steps out of some kind of a time hole and grabs the mystical MacGuffin out of the royal rapscallion's hand. The eye's new beholder uses the Georgia O'Keefe-inspired device to zap Prince John, Mordred, and Shandu with a beam that he claims won't injure them, but will make them realize how much they suck. Harsh. Prester John goes on to explain that ever since he found out the eye had been reassembled, he's been bopping around time looking for it. And now he's finally found it. Many years before he lost it in the first place. Because... Just because, okay? I'm not about to get sucked into a whole time travel paradox this late in the issue. Dane has an important announcement to make. He's decided to stay in this time period and fight alongside King Richard the Lionheart in his noble and holy murderous racist fundamentalist land grab. Seriously? You know what, Dane? Fuck you. Everyone congratulates Dane on what a good, good thing he's doing. You know what, everybody? Fuck you. Prester John uses the evil eye to return the rest of the defenders to their own time. Once they are safely back in Steve's sanctorum, Hawkeye has an important announcement. He is leaving the non-team. Hooray! Namor, the Silver Surfer, and Hulk also quit, but I'm pretty sure they've done that at the end of almost every issue so far. So, we'll see if it sticks before I get too torn up about that. Steve and his perpetual houseguest Val wave a fond farewell to their departing comrades, wondering what bold new chapter the future may hold in store for the Defenders, the mightiest non-team of heroes ever somewhat assembled. You know what? At no point in this adventure did Dane Whitman even ask how his flying horse is doing. Dude was so concerned with getting his sword back and living out his murderous Renfair wet dreams that he never even went, Hey, is Aragorn doing okay? Man, fuck that guy. I hope he gets the plague. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Cory. Cory, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's uh, interesting. We're recording over at Corey's house right now. It's a different environment. I, I like your house. It's nice. Why, thank you. It's nice to be here. Glad to hear. So, what'd you think? Oh, man. Where to begin? Yeah. Boy. It sucks. There was a lot that I liked about this issue, and it could have just been a really fun, goofy issue. But... And it also could have been 
a still pretty fun but kind of problematic issue with some background racism. But (laughs) there are like two or three panels that really take it over to the next step and a couple of concepts that, wow, I don't want to spend the whole time talking about the racism in this issue, but we have to at least address the racism in this issue. Mm. It sucks. Yeah. it's. I know it was the 70s. It was a different time when everyone was terrible. But even within that background, this stands up as there's there's some really shitty portrayals of Arabic culture and some glorification of the Crusades, which suck. Yeah. This is actually early-ish 70s, right? This is 70, 73. 70, 73. Yeah. So I think this idea of like it being okay to kind of make fun of and use Arab stereotypes is something that persists. You know, even to this oh, day, even absolutely, definitely, especially through like being a kid in the '80s, watching oh. you know wrestling and all of that. But like, you can really see it's maybe not its roots, but like this was totally normal for kids in America reading this at the yeah. time. And, yeah, and now reading it, I'm just like, oh god, that's. Well, not good. And there's a thing that happens in comic books of this era, and not to specifically put Steve Englehart on blast, but yeah, I'm going to put Steve Englehart specifically on blast. If it's a depiction of black people, then it is done in a certain way where at least you can tell there are good intentions. It is often handed in a very ham-fisted and not great way, and usually has some really big false equivalencies of like, well, yes, it's bad to be racist against black people, but also they shouldn't be so angry. So Mm -hmm. it's a wash. And that's shitty in its own regard. But at least with those you can tell that they're trying. But with Steve Englehart specifically, if he has a depiction of Arabic people or Asian people, as we saw earlier mm-hmm. when the, the gang went to Tibet, it, it's like not even a thing. It's just like, oh, well, I mean, it's cool that I'm racist against them, right? That's still fine. I still get to do my revival of the Yellow Claw. Mm-hmm. like, And I, I still get to just have horrible stereotypes of Arabic people around and have everybody yell Arabs when they attack. And it's, yeah, it's not great. And it's certainly not a new thing, obviously, as this came out in 73. But right now, the way that the country is having to deal with the horrible Islamophobia issues that it has. And there have been a number of incidents this week, especially here in Portland. Mm -hmm. Reading this when I read this really brought home the, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, I had the same. Like, still... Yeah. Like, even yeah. worse. And like you said, we definitely grew up with these really racist portrayals of Arabs. And I think I was maybe a little more cognizant of it growing up because I'm of Arabic heritage, although you would never know it to look at me. And so it's never been something that... I mean, my experience is definitely that of a, a white person in America. But I still was aware. I mean, my my mom and my, my grandparents are Arabic. And so it was something that when I would see that, I'd be like, huh. Mm. I think a lot of people didn't even have the huh. Mm -hmm. I think it was really more of just a yup. Yeah. So we will get back to these things as they come up in the issue. But as I said, and what's really especially crappy about this, well, no, what's really especially crappy about it is the racism, but it does ruin what was otherwise a pretty fun, goofy story. And that still has some stuff in it, so let's talk about those things. Okay. Uh, We start off with more or less the wrap-up of the Avengers Defenders War. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Little nice epilogue. And Steve Strange is at his Steve Strangiest. 
It sure is. <laughs> it is a delight to behold. Well, I've got this really powerful device, which means I can be a total asshole. <laughs> Finally, the mask of civility has slipped, and I can be as Steve Strange as I want to be Steve Strange. Yeah, Nick Fury comes in, and I gotta say, this is not a sentence I say that often, but I feel really bad for Nick Fury. The way he re reacts to everybody. He shows up, and he's basically like, Hey, Scarlet Witch, I understand you did a great job. All of humanity owes you a big favor. And she's just like, Humans? Fuck humans. I'm a mutant. Humans can fucking take it and shove it. I did my job because I'm an Avenger. And Nick's like, Oh, um... Okay, let's turn to the Defenders. And Steve cuts him off and is just like, let's not. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to wipe the memory of our existence from every living brain. Every living brain. Every living brain. Not just human brains. No. Dog brains, bird brains. And only ostensibly because he wants the Defenders to stay secret. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. He men in blacks the entire planet because he wants to maintain his no solicitors sign. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at the same time, that's Steve. <laughs> at the strangest. Yeah. And Iron Man has a particularly funny response to this, especially in light of recent events, because he's like, I will wipe their memory from every living brain. Oh, except for you Avengers and us Defenders, of course. Is that cool, guys? <laughs> is that cool, guys? And Iron Man is just like, You're an honorable man, Doctor Strange. Thank you for letting us keep our memories. Except he did already wipe something from Iron Man's memory. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he wiped the memory of his memory wiping from his memory as well. Because in the last issue, he just cherry-picked the secret identities that had accidentally been revealed during the battle of Iron Man and Thor... Mm -hmm. from the rest of the Avengers' minds. Mm -hmm. Kind of a weird moment. Yep. Also, turns out, the whole Avengers-Defenders war, there is no boon from it. Like, I thought when we came into this story, it's like, well, at least they got the evil eye back, so they'll be able to restore the Black Knight. Mm -hmm. From the story, we find out that, now nah, turns out the Black Knight would have been restored anyway from Merlin. He already got dragged into the past. This is coming up regardless. Mm -hmm. There's no good from them having the evil eye at the end. Dude doesn't get turned back from stone. It was just a huge fuck up on Steve's part that resulted in a ton of damage, which he did immediately clear. Like just totally after he mind wiped everybody, mind you, after he mind wiped everybody, mm -hmm. then he restored everything back to normal and fixed all the damage that had been done. Mm -hmm. Presumably there were a number of lives lost. I don't think resurrection of the dead is a power that he has at this point. Maybe he does. I don't know. But either way, it's a big fuck up on Steve's part that nobody really acknowledges that the Defenders nearly caused the world to be completely destroyed for no reason other than they got duped. By Dormammu and uh, Loki. Yeah. Yeah. So bad job, everybody. Yeah, not great. He did get to enjoy a brief period of time using the evil eye, which he yeah. seemed quite, quite to enjoy. But yeah, you're right. It didn't yeah. really result in it's... any... The, the entire net benefit of this is Steve getting 15 minutes of Dormammu-like peacock strutting with the old evil eye there. Mind-wiping the earth, restoring the cosmos to its former state. Right. Except the dead people, maybe. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, way to defend, buddy. Yep. There's some weird time travel stuff that comes up in this issue. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to chalk it up to racism and uh, Steve being Steve, that when they first pop back into the Middle East, the first thing that he notices is, 
Oh, we appear to be in some kind of a desert. I think we're in the Middle East. They are clearly in the middle of the 12th century. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't even notice that. He's like, there's catapults and shit. I think in Steve's mind, he was just like, yeah, that's what the Middle East is, right? They, they got sand and they got catapults probably still. They're still doing that there, right? I don't want to be a Steve Strange apologist, but I do think he says something about the architecture looking Middle Eastern. No, he says the architecture looks Middle Eastern, mm. but he doesn't notice that it is the 11th century. I, that's what I'm saying is he thinks that's what the Middle East still looks like. <laughs> right. Yeah. This isn't America. The architecture is more Middle Eastern. And Namor's like, uh, maybe we should concentrate on when we are. There's a catapult. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to what they don't use those. <laughs> I just assumed hmm. constantly. Ah, but the other thing that we have with some of the the time travel fun that we get is okay. We'll start with the bad. There's a whole convoluted thing about Prester John, the guy that we were introduced to before, who owned the evil eye, getting the evil eye back, possibly before he lost it. And the timeline on that doesn't make any sense. And it is all explained away with a caption that just said, yup, it's another time travel paradox. I think he even uh, called it a 20 cent time travel paradox, which I mean, fair enough. It definitely is that. But come on, at least try to make your story make sense. I don't know. I think it's the editorial equivalent of was it the last one that we read that just said, like, sorry, guys, like, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> yeah, I think pretty much. But one thing I did like about the time travel thing that I thought was a fun twist on it was that when he goes back in time, Steve is less powerful than the other magicians because he's invoking deities that he hasn't met yet that they have curried the favor of. So I'm like, oh, it gives you a little glimpse into how his magic works mm -hmm. and that he's drawing power off of other more powerful beings. And I think that's kind of cool. And I like the idea that part of his power is really his social networking with cosmic entities. And I think that was pretty cool. I think he was also quite shaken by, like, he's just used to being the super powerful dude. Yeah. He's just like, ah, oh, weird little uh, gnome guy. I'll just blast him. Nope. Oh, shit. Dude. Those gnomes are so crazy powerful. And also, I can shorten that sentence to, dude, those gnomes are so crazy. They're weird. They are some of the weirdest looking little dudes I have ever seen. And you mentioned, too, they bear no resemblance to the creature on the cover of this issue. No. Like, the, the cover of the issue, very misleading. We get the sorcerer that Doctor Strange is fighting, who's a dude who has, I guess, befriended Mordred who is the Black Knight's nemesis and King Arthur's nemesis, and... He's helping the Crusaders out. Yeah. It's a weird... This is what I was talking about, where, like, with a couple of tweaks, then it would have been kind of a more normal level of background racism. Because I liked the fact that the Defenders, for the most part, are not fighting on the side of the Crusaders against the evil Arabs. Mm -hmm. I am using air quotes just in case there was any guessing about <laughs> that. And that it was rather that is the background for a inter-Crusader conflict that is with the evil Prince John and mm -hmm. Mordred who are conspiring and have enlisted the aid of this magician named Shandu and are conspiring against Richard the Lionheart. And so it's an inter-them struggle. Mm -hmm. that's a somewhat mitigating circumstance, not ideal, because you still have the, you know, 
background racist caricatures from the movie Aladdin hanging around there. (laughs) Yep. But it at least could have taken it to a just plain old Aladdin level of racism. Right. But... It, it could have mitigated yeah. the overall racism, but it winds up not doing that because basically their power struggle doesn't detract from that. From like, them Lionheart just like... was doing was correct. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And it really gets underscored when at the end, fucking Dane mm-hmm. decides that, no, where I really belong is in this righteous crusade. Yep. I should stay back in history and just, you know... Keep kicking brown ass. Yeah. <laughs> Basically and just like, nobody will let me kill all the brown people at home. I get hollered at somewhat. Yeah. Back here, they think it's keen. Dr. Strange is like, good choice. All right. <laughs> yep. Okay. Have fun. Yeah. Enjoy the crusade. Although I think Strange's real deal there is that he's just like, never did figure out how to turn your knot into stone back in our time. So um, Mm -hmm. anyway, have fun. But yeah, the fact that he decided that the correct thing to do was to stay and fight in the goddamn crusades. Fuck you, dude. Yeah. I must say I did kind of enjoy the background chatter between the guards when they were talking about how one of them was cheating in a race. By feeding... <laughs> Your daughter drug, saw you, you drug my camel. Yeah. Yeah. They had been betting on a camel race, and it's just before they are somehow able to penetrate the Hulk's disguise of wearing a robe. <laughs> His foot is green. That's how they... <laughs> yep. That's the only way. <laughs> yep. Otherwise, you would never notice that he is nine feet tall and enormous. It's a big dude in a cloak, or big cloak. But I'll assume his feet are normal colored. My daughter saw you place herbs in my beast's drinking water the evening before our race. I warn you, Abdul, I want my money returned. Fool, you caused me to drop the torch. Besides, what will these priests think? That was one thing that I did like that the priests are able to just roam around the castle doing whatevs. There's another scene in there, too, where where some other guards see them and they're like, uh, priests. Yeah, yeah. They're not into like, the priests. They're not into the priests, but they're also allowing them to have free reign. Uh-huh. I kind of like that. Yeah. I noted earlier that the guard would have assumed otherwise that the Hulk's foot was a human color of foot. Mm-hmm. There were some weird missteps in the coloration of this issue that were corrected in the reprint that you have. Oh, really? But the gnomes are, they're generally colored like they are weird gray creatures of living stone. Mm -hmm. About half the time in the original printing, they are colored as though they have white dude flesh. Hmm. And it's kind of jarring. Hmm. That you can just look at and be like, okay, well, that's a mistake. The same deal with the evil eye, once again, changes colors from purple to... It's a nice blue Yeah, it's a nice blue in the opening. Looks way less yonic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's holding it sideways, too. Yeah. It's much more of an eye. Or just honestly, they also made it less pointy around the edges, so it's just more of an oval or an egg Mm -hmm. shape. Totally fine-looking device there. Mm -hmm. Like a chalice, almost. Yeah, and generally it is drawn like a goblet more than anything else in this issue. But then in other panels, it is drawn as its original pink color. Pink again. Um, So it just kind of, that switches around some. But the issue I had with the coloring where I felt it detracted most from the story is there's the scene where Doctor Strange goes in his astral form to seek out the Black Knight, who he thinks his soul is still hanging out in limbo. Mm-hmm. He's going to go drag his soul back, jam it into his stone body, mm-hmm. destatuify the fuck, and then they're on their way. Mm-hmm. When he does that, 
Namor notices, ah, oh, the mage's astral form has separated from his mortal form, and now he looks like a statue too. They show Doctor Strange's form looking like a statue, but standing right next to it, the Black Knight is no longer statue colored. He is now, looks like a normal dude. Mm -hmm. And that makes it pretty confusing as to what's happening in that panel. It look, makes it look as though Doctor Strange has succeeded. Yeah, I actually went back and looked at that a couple times and came to the conclusion it was just a coloring error, but yeah. I thought maybe they were saying trying to clue you in to that, like, oh, no, he's back in the 12th century. Or No, no, no I, it wasn't a lead-in. It didn't make any sense. It was just a miscue where the colorist didn't understand what was happening in the story at that point. Mm -hmm. That reminded me of the first time I had a comedy sketch performed live. I don't know if you were there for it. I was in a sketch comedy group for a while, and the first show that I had, the first sketch that I had written that was going to be performed was about the the invention of the pull my finger gag, which it was a dumb long fart joke, but it's one that I still think is kind of funny. The whole idea was there was a very proper 17th century British Poons, practical Poonsworth? joke. Uh, no, Poonsworth was his assistant. Uh, his name was Sir Reginald Tisdale, and that he was a practical joke pioneer. Basically, the whole point was that the pull my finger joke was the result of several rough drafts that got refined to the joke that it is today. First time, he had somebody pull his finger, nothing happened. Second time, he had somebody tug on his fist, and he shit his pants. <laughs> Third time, he had somebody tug his thumb, and then he shot them in the tummy. And then he's like, I'm so close to something, and then gives a little speech that, I've got it. The pulling of a digit, the nauseating, that strangely titillating aroma of poo-poo, the explosive report of the pistol, that's it. And that is the birth of the pull my finger joke. Like I said, kind of a dumb joke. I still find it pretty funny. The person who is running the audio for the venue killed it like and not in a good way killed it mm. i mean they didn't understand the sketch so they put a fart sound effect loudly playing anytime somebody pulled a finger or a hand or a thumb and it made the whole thing make no goddamn sense mm. the colorist of this issue is that av person oh man i mean it's not technically the same person but they're doing the same thing when they miscolor the black knight statue sure and, and, and it upset me in the same way I'm sorry that that happened. That's okay. Just, it didn't make people laugh at my funny joke about somebody pooping their pants. I remember the the <laughs> origin of that joke. I think that was the morning of what I refer to as the great hangover. It was a pretty was, was good it hangover. On? It was, yeah. Okay. We, you, had, you had crashed at my house and I woke up in the morning and it was the result of us just kind of being like, hey, what if? <laughs> but yeah, good times. That was a story that happened. <laughs> yeah. Those gnomes were weird, man. Very ugly, very powerful. Very ugly, very powerful. It also sets up, at, at least there's, at first, there's an initial gnome who gets a whole name and everything, T-Max. Right. And it seemed like they were setting him up to be more of a character or to have some personality. And then it was just like, no, he's crazy powerful, but also there's a hundred of him and here they all come. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like an abrupt switching of gears in what they were doing with the story, which w was odd. There was a moment that I actually really enjoyed that was between Shandu and Tamax. Mm -hmm. Shandu is the sorcerer that Prince John and Mordred have enlisted the aid of. Mm -hmm. And the defenders have just disappeared. And, and the gnome's like, what the hell? I wanted to smash those dudes. And so he goes, true? 
And Shandra goes, I share your astonishment, demon. Whither have they gone? Mm-hmm. It's a nice moment of Chewbacca. Yep, I had the same observation, in fact. Yeah, I, I was just like, oh, that's a that's a fun little Chewbacca moment. I, mm-hmm. I dig that. Mm-hmm. At the bar I used to work at, there were some regulars who went Chewbacca all the time. It's the only time I've seen that in play in real life. Oh, the guy would translate for the, like the really drunk guy or something? Yeah, he wouldn't translate. He could understand. There were two dudes. There was JT, and then there was Farmer Ted. And then there was a dude <laughs> named Derek. And Derek could understand both Farmer Ted and JT. JT. But JT, to me, sounded like this. <laughs> and Farmer Ted would be like, <laughs> So they would have these conversations, and Derek would under, they could all understand each other. But to me, it sounded like this conversation was happening. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think 12.5% sounds kind of high for that. <laughs> And it never failed to astonish and delight me. <laughs> so you could totally understand Derek. I could understand Derek. Huh. I could not understand. Eventually, and that was how I knew I had kind of been there too long, was when I could start to pick up some of what Ted was saying. <laughs> were they just like really drunk old timers? Yes. Or were they from yes. places that have the accents that no, are different than what no, we're used to? No, they were just drunk old timers. Mm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ted was from Oregon, and I think JT was too. Like I said, really hard to tell. He mm. yeah, <laughs> kind of a Laurel and Hardy thing going on there, but yeah, sort of voice-wise. Yeah, one tall, skinny voice, <laughs> one <laughs> short, fat voice. Yeah, it's a real experience. To this day, I enjoy a good bit of Chewbacca hanging around when I see it, and well, I was not disappointed. Mm. There was another thing that mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. Val. It was set up beforehand that she was almost magically, or not almost, she was magically in love with Dane Whitman, the Black Knight. Right. And she was nervous about bringing him back to his stone body because she didn't want to have to deal with being in love with him. And then in this issue, she just dismisses it. They're hanging out and she's just like, well, this is weird. I don't feel shit for this dude. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this is the last issue that Steve Englehart writes. Oh, really? Huh. I'm pretty sure, at least for a while. I know the next issue is by Len Wein, and pretty soon Steve Gerber takes over. So there is kind of a weird, like, all right, I've set up this backstory, but eh, I'll just throw in literally one sentence that says, yeah, don't worry about that. Nothing's happening with that. Done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's kind of shitty. Yeah. You know, not as shitty as all the racism, but still. Also, though, not I mean, super... it's also possible that Val's just like, this guy's a fucking dick. Yeah, or just like, you know, young romance sometimes. Like, you think everything's going great, and then all of a sudden, you're just like, hey, I'm not magically in love with this person what anymore. What happened? What happened? That is true. I think we've all been there. Mm-hmm. So speaking of Val, and maybe this is something that'll come up later, but why do you suppose that she's the only one of the defenders that doesn't take off at the end? Well, no I think they have go? established, I mean, right since she showed up, she had talked about the fact that she places a lot of her identity in the modern world in being a defender. And she's the only one that really seems to see it as a group. Mm-hmm. that will acknowledge that, no, we are in fact a team. Um, so that actually made a fair amount of sense to me. Also, I'm pretty sure they're coming back for the next. Like, Hulk has quit the team every issue, I think. Just about. Yeah, Namor's not a real fan of the whole team thing. Either. You know, for a guy who's not a fan of teamwork, he joins a lot of teams. 
He likes like, to say he's not. Yeah, but like he has joined. So at, at this point, I think it's just been the invaders and the defenders. But later on, he joins the Avengers for a while. He joins a group called the Illuminati. He joins the X-Men a couple of times mm. because he is the world's first mutant. It's weird. He he gets billed as Marvel's first mutant, and he is in terms of his publication date. He was described as a mutant, and he showed up in 1939. But within the fiction of the Marvel Universe, there have been mutants going back to, like, ancient Egypt and before that and stuff. So First Fishman? Mm, no, I mean, because he first was... Shellhead? No, Shellhead is uh, Iron Man. Oh, right. Sorry. It sounded nautical. He's maybe the first human Atlantean hybrid. Mm. So he's got that going for him. Okay. I've been doing some research about Namor recently because I'm going to be a guest on another podcast and I'm going to advocate for for Namor in it. I don't know if they've released the details of it, so I'm not going to mention it by name yet. But I was reading some old uh, Namor stuff. Mm. It's fun as hell. Like, and his Silver Age stuff, like his Golden Age stuff is really fun and goofy. And we've seen some reprints of that. His Silver Age stuff is really fun. And it's in, I think, Daredevil 7. And it's one of my favorite panels I've ever seen. Where it's just him standing in front of a revolving door. And just being like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> he's just looking at a revolving door. He's like, what manner of door is this? Yeah. And he's so pissed. And then he doesn't want to wait for an elevator. So he just smashes the elevator and climbs the rope. Oh, Namor. He's the best. Yeah. He is I love a, that guy. He is a fun character. Indeed he is. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we move on to the minutiae? Yeah, just one thing. It's not going to come up in favorite panels, but I would like to get your read on the way that Doctor Strange is drawn on page 26. Let's take a look. I'm not I sure if you, particularly noticed. you might not have noticed this, and I'm not sure if, if it was me just thinking that he was being a bit of a dickhead in the issue, but... Oh, God! <laughs> I did not catch that at all. It is (laughs) Doctor Strange. I think what is supposed to be happening is his head is popped back because he got knocked in the head. So it's just his chin. But my God. Thank you, Corey. It looks like he (laughs) has a penis for a head. Like, it is pretty unambiguous. And wow. Well spotted, Corey. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yep, that's an unfortunate drawing. (laughs) I think it's pretty fortunate. Wow. Well, you ready for the minutia? Sure. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts. We got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, what do you feel like hitting up first? Let's just get Sucka out of the way because I had a tough time with who's got to be a Sucka this issue. Okay, uh, I I think I've got a pretty solid one. So, uh, what was your character who acted contrary to their pre-established character and seemingly without motivation? So, the part two of the got to be a Sucka that I often find trickier is because following up on what you said, it's also they do this in order to basically move the story forward. Yes. And so drawing on that, what I came up with was Hawkman. Hawkman? Hawkeye. Because he seemed less of a dick okay. than he normally is. Sure. Like he was actually pretty unoffensive. He, he was for the most part in this issue, which I, I liked. And also fairly introspective. Um, and that's the other thing. So he spent much of it just being, you know, kind of contemplative about like, well, you know, what do I want out of life? Wasn't so much of the whining about like, well, I liked her and she didn't like me, so I left, but they didn't like me. Yeah. Like he didn't really do 
me that. He's just like, what do I want? I don't know. I gotta go. I gotta go figure it out. See you later, guys. I, I agree that, that that is the case. I wouldn't necessarily say that that is necessarily him being a sucker, as perhaps he has grown a bit. Yeah, it was a stretch, but I, I did also have Hawkeye as my character who just had to be a sucker. But the reason that I had was he had previously talked about how he was really out there to try to make a name for himself, mm-hmm. and he thought maybe teaming up with these defenders was his ticket to doing that. Mm -hmm. Now, he doesn't object even slightly to Doctor Strange wiping all memory of these previous events from every living brain. Every living brain. And that is where I felt, well, that's not a Hawkeye thing. He will sass the shit out of anybody, especially if it feels like he's punching up. Mm -hmm. And he didn't do that at all. And I thought that was pretty out of character for Hawkeye, and that he might have piped up and been like, "Uh, hey... I could have been a famous world saver, you know, after saving the world from the danger that we caused. Maybe he was just smart enough to realize it was too late. Because Dr. Strange is like, is that cool, guys? Yeah. Well. Sorry, it's done. I, I want you to think about what you said. Hawkeye did something that would have shown that he was smart enough. Hawkeye's not smart enough. Oh. He's a big idiot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I had Hawkeye too for those reasons. Although my backup was Iron Man for saying, you're a good man, Doctor Strange. And also like being so deferential in his, and thank you for letting us keep our memories. Like, that that doesn't sound like a Tony Stark. I'm wondering to what extent, like maybe Doctor Strange was was already been in there. You know, since I'm in this brain anyway, there's this weird disorder he seems to have where he doesn't think I'm the greatest. Hmm. I'll just fix that for him. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Your Doctor Strange voice is getting pretty good. Thank you. You're welcome. You still, I think yours is still the definitive Steve Strange. Oh, shucks. What sound effect did you find the sound effectiest? Uh, There were some good ones in here. I'm going to go with a a classic uh, Hulk smashing noise. Which the foom? It wasn't the foom. This one was a wump. Wump is nice. Wump. There it is. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the foom. There were a lot of very well-drawn, but also pretty standard sound effects. And so the one that I decided to go with was one I had not seen before, which is the Silver Surfer using his powers cosmic as a lockpick. And Mm. it makes a tiny... Mm-hmm. noise i thought that was appropriate this, i, I yeah. kind of hear it almost like this little like subtle like kind of laser and i liked the fact that as the sound effect was drawn it had what appeared to be a broken exclamation point in front of it and a regular exclamation point at the end and i had not seen that before but somehow it worked for that because it, it kind of conveyed the idea that that is the lock mechanism breaking and it's also a pretty subtle noise mm. at least that was the way i interpreted it mm. and i thought that was pretty nicely done I just assumed that was part of the, the lock flying off that got wrongly colored because it looks like this thing. Oh, there, shit. And that's the top I of think it. you're right. We have a coloring misstep strike again. Mm-hmm. But it was effective this time. And either way, I like the FET still. It's a good FET. Mm-hmm. Better than Django? Not as good as Boba. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Best defender, worst offender. Worst offender. Let's start with that. Well, he got a lot done, but man, what a dick. Dr. Strange. Oh, okay. I think there is an argument to be made there. Explain why he is the worst. I don't think it's cool to just erase everybody's memory and assume that it's fine. <sighs> Liberal rubbish. <laughs> I, I am the original bleeding heart. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm not going to disagree with you, but I feel that his general steviness is outshone in terms of shittiness by one Dane Whitman. 
who decides that his life goal is to stay in the 12th century in order to fight in the goddamn crusades. Fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy. I can't. And also, in addition to that, he does such a bad job in this issue in a way that completely cracked me up. Val is fighting off the gnomes with, she is using Dane Whitman's sword. Mm -hmm. She's really holding her own, but she is about to be overpowered. And she's like, here, this is your sword. And she tosses it to him. And he grabs the sword and he feels the power course through it. And he's like, finally, this is what I was made to do. He says, yes, yes. (laughs) Come at me, gnomes. And they all punch him and he's knocked out instantly. Yeah. It's tremendous. He did such a bad job. And when he was talking before in an English accent, he's an American. So he was doing a fake British accent or best case scenario, he was Madonna-ing because he's like, well, I've just spent some time in England. So mm-hmm. therefore, pip, pip, cheerio. In this issue, he is part old timey. Yeah. Black Knight and part current Black Knight. I agree with you. I didn't pick him because is he a defender? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, we've picked him as the worst defender before. The defender's uh, rule is where any hero fighting by their side uh, can be viewed as a defender since they're a non-team. So, yes, if you're going one of the more traditional lineup of defenders, I agree. Steve Strange, bad job. But if you're going Freebird rules, then... Stay behind. Yeah. Kill, kill the Then, yeah, Dane Whitman, not even close. Yes, the worst. Okay, no argument here, sir. Okay, conversely? Conversely... Best who can, defender? Who can punch the water? Namor can punch the fucking Namor water. Namor can punch the water so good. He wins the splash fight and saves the day. He totally does. He also was the first one to recognize that they had, in fact, time traveled. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he was the one who figured out how to conquer the, the evil gnomes. And after he punched that water good, he was so proud of himself. Oh. <laughs> Being proud of himself is what Namor does best. Yep. Second place would be punching, mm-hmm. but first place being proud of himself. And so if he's able to do both of those, it's a good afternoon for him. Which normally rubs me the wrong way in most people, but I just, I don't know. It's I, great I like when it he does guy. it. Yep. He, I love Namor so much. He's the best and he is the best defender. In my opinion, uh, Dane Whitman is the worst offender. And you went with Steve Strange. So... Sartorially speaking, what would you like to talk about? I had a couple things. Okay. I think for me, Mordred is maybe the the winner. Yeah? Yeah. On account of being, you know, evil looking, but also just pretty goofy looking with the, uh, I don't even know what you call it, but the thing that looks like a swim cap that's from your chainmail, like that goes over. Oh, your yeah, 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 yeah. The, the chainmail cowl. Yeah, so it's like one of those ski hats, like when you're a kid that only leaves your face exposed, mm-hmm. and then he's got this big firebird-looking crest on his chest that says, I'm evil! Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, it may as well have a word bubble coming out of its mouth that just mm-hmm. says, I'm evil! Yeah, I agree, that's a pretty good look. Mordred has popped up in a number of comic books at Cross Publishers. There was actually a, uh, in one of the, I don't think you were there for it, I think it was one of the bonus issues that we did, we covered a Teen Titans backup, which featured the Shining Knight, who is, he's a DC character, he rides a flying horse, he takes place in King Arthur times, Mm -hmm. and then sometimes he time travels to our time. But 
That was actually drawn by Frank Frazetta back before he made a name for himself as Frank Frazetta in like, I think it was in the 40s or, or early 50s. Mm. And Mordred was super goofy, goofy looking in that too. Mm. I, I think just Mordred canonically, no matter who's drawn him, no matter which company's drawing him, no matter which version of the character you're drawing, he's a weird looking dude. Mm. Who dresses weird. Good to know. And uh, yeah, that continues to this day. Oh man, speaking of Frank Frazetta, I am excited to watch this movie. Oh yeah, so we've been planning it for a while, but tonight we're going to watch Fire and Ice, which is Ralph Bakshi's Frank Frazetta barbarian movie, and I don't think either of us has ever seen it in. It's going to be great. Yep. Got some snacks, got some drinks. Yeah. Woohoo. So, uh, okay. Also, sartorially speaking, Prester John, nifty hat. That was my uh, other thing to talk about. Yeah. Nifty hat. Also, weird Santa Claus shirt. Santa Claus shirt. Let's take a look at that. Um, red shirt, baggy, fur trimmed sleeves. Yeah, you're totally right. Do you think it's possible that he might be Father Christmas under there? I mean, he's got the long white mustache. Maybe that's why he has to wear the weird Galactus hat, <laughs> sans horns, to cover up the fact that his secret identity is Santa Claus. Maybe that's what he uses the evil eye for later. Mm, he, yeah, he it gives him that kind of power. He's I got think, a lot of ground to cover. I think you cracked the case. <laughs> Aha. I think Prester John is old Chris Kringle himself, St. Nick. Good to know. So if you're leaving him out some milk and cookies, you might curry some extra favor by leaving him out a fleshlight jammed onto the end of a recorder. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little Yuletide pro tip from Tighten Up the Defense to you. <laughs> what were your favorite words in this issue? Because th there were some really great choices for me. There were, but I'm going to go way simple. Uh, is it one word repeated twice? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell us what it is, Corey? <laughs> alarm! Alarm! <laughs> I loved that, and it was such, to me, a nice callback to the enjoy, enjoy. Yeah, when, when the Arabic characters notice that the Hulk is not, in fact, a priest, despite being a master of disguise, mm -hmm. on par with Princess Coriander, he notices that the Hulk is the Hulk. The way that the guards sound the alarm is literally by saying, alarm, alarm. Or possibly they are just saying, I am alarmed, I am alarmed. Yeah, very alarming. Quite. <laughs> that was definitely up there for me, and that was the first one that I wrote down. However, also in contention, you know what? It's alarm, alarm is the best. Uh, <laughs> but honorable mention to, then let's talk about you defend. <laughs> No, Nick Fury, let us not. Rather, let me cleanse your brain of any knowledge concerning our existence. Avengers, it is our wish that the Defenders remain unknown to the world at large. I propose to treat every living brain as I have treated Furies, except for yours. Agreed? Every living brain. It is the steviest of Steves. It really is. The other thing that is a Steve being a Steve is Steve Englehart being Steve Englehart. And I'm not referring to the racism. I'm referring to this caption. So that's it. The end of the quest for the Black Knight's soul. One of the most amazing tales in the history of literature. Whoa. <laughs> That. Calling out your own shit as one of the most amazing tales in the history of literature. Whoa. Yep, Steve's got a Steve. Yep. Uh, favorite panel? I kind of went in a, a more comical, in the, in the sense of goofy, like humorous direction with this. And I had two that I, I can't quite decide which one is, is the winner. Okay. I think I'm going to go with Very Confused Hulk on page 30. I really enjoyed the Very Confused Hulk. I remember that one. 
And the other one is on page 22, and it's more giant gnomes! I had that one, too. <laughs> Although I read that in my guy from the New England Associates commercial. <laughs> more giant more gnomes. More giant gnomes. <laughs> down the drain. Oh, and they do get washed down the drain at the end. Because they, they all melt. Yeah, New England Associates can help them. They can help the way those giant gnomes are formed. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a call. <laughs> I love that we keep doing a callback to a commercial that only the two of us remember. I've looked at it and I I've looked at it on the internet even, so many times. Did we just make it up? It's possible. Hmm. If so, we are truly the greatest of advertising wizards. <laughs> I had those ones and I did I did also have the just the gnome punching the gnomes, all three gnomes punching the shit out of the black knight. Mm-hmm. It's just so satisfying because he's such a dick. And it's the fact that it's after the buildup of he is valiant he, and and skillful and boom. It's he gives the giant like, oh shit, he's going to fuck everything up. And then nope, boom, you're done. Done. And I found that very satisfying and very comical. Mm-hmm. I dug it. So problematic issue. Had some fun stuff in it. God Damn it, 70s racism. <laughs> but we're not done yet, Corey. No. No, because thanks to the generosity, thanks to the largest of our donors, right? we are introducing a new segment today in the grand tradition of what's Aqualad probably up to? Mm. We have a long day's journey in tonight. <laughs> so Wong is not in this issue. No, he's not. What is Wong? But Wong is rad as fuck. What is, so, yeah. February 1973. You want to go first or you want me to go first? What could Wong be doing? I'll, I'll go first. Yours, okay. yours is probably better. This is, this not is new. So, there's a lot we don't know about Wong. That is true. Yeah. He's a man of mystery. Indeed. Also, a man of some education. Quite. And a man of many academic interests. Yes. A new one for him is he is a budding cephalopodologist. Really? Yeah. And as part of a program that he's involved with as a, you know, undergrad through university, mm-hmm. is there's been reported spottings of a ridiculously large octopus. You don't say. Yeah. And in February of 73, the 18th, I believe, Wong and his research party had made their way up to Hood Canal, Washington, mm. and were in fact, successful in capturing, humanely and for research, an octopus that weighed 54 kilograms and was 7 meters My God. Crossed. I would imagine that his training in the martial arts that he learned in the Himalayas would have served him well. That's a lot of octopus to handle. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Well done, Wong. And that was how Wong spent his long journey into night. <laughs> that was a stretch. What did you have? Well... You're right about Wong being a man of many diverse interests and study. Mm -hmm. And since coming to America, he had made it part of his studies to learn what he could about America's pastime, baseball. (laughs) Now, being both a historian and a baseball fan, Wong did some figuring and he determined that the best baseball team, or at least his favorite baseball team, in my opinion, the best baseball team, Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was upset because, uh, well, the Boston Red Sox had been on a bit of a drought in terms of winning championships mm. ever since they traded the great Bambino, Babe mm-hmm. Ruth, mm-hmm. to the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. The most evil 
of mm-hmm. all baseball teams. And one one can recognize evil when he sees it. Sure, a lot of time with uh, Steve. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> and so he knew that if the Red Sox were ever going to win the pennant over the New York Yankees and were, were ever to win a World Series again, he had to do something about the curse of the Great Bambino. Mm-hmm. Now, Babe Ruth was traded to the... New York Yankees from the Red Sox for mostly cash considerations. And do you know what that cash went to finance? Uh, getting a new slugger? No, it actually went to the owner of the Red Sox financing a Broadway musical called No No Nanette. Oh, did it? Yes. <laughs> and Wong figured if he needed that cursed end, he needed to get that show off Broadway. So he went backstage, he did some sabotaging, he did some rabble rousing, and thanks to Wong's effort, the last performance of No No Nanette was on February 4th of 1973. That was after over 800 performances of that play. Wong finally brought it to an end. And, well... Took a while. Made it possible (laughs) for 31 years later, (laughs) the Red Sox to finally win the World Series again. Yes. And that was how Wong spent his long journey into... (laughs) That is how... Wong's journey to the end of night. <laughs> what? I think we might need a new name for this segment. Yeah, we might. That is fascinating. Yeah. Octopus and uh, baseball. And Broadway musicals. You heard it here. Mm-hmm. And now you know the rest of the story. Mm. Thank you so much for listening. We've got some fun stuff coming up ahead. Unfortunately, Corey is going to be out of town in a couple of weeks. We've got two more episodes with Corey coming up. Savor them, because after that, he's going to be gone for two episodes. But we've got some really fun guests scheduled, and I think you're going to enjoy them. I'm also going to be appearing on some other podcasts. As they get announced, I will start announcing them. But uh, but yeah, you know, if you'd like to hear my voice, you'll be able to do a little bit more of it soon. And if you would like to get in touch with me, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on the Tumblr. You can find me on Twitter at ttwasteland underscore. And you can find me if you look inside your heart. We will both be there saying, hello. Hey guys. (laughs) Yeah. How's it going? Uh, yeah, look look for us in those places. And uh, if you want to look for us on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you use to listen to this, if you feel like leaving us a five-star review up there, that, that would be really nice because it would help more people find the show. And yeah, I'd like that to happen. And if you'd like to give us some money and be treated to more bonuses like Wong Day's Journey to the End of Night or whatever we end up calling this segment, then you can leave us some money at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. So, alarm, alarm. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> alarm. Alarm. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> enjoy alarm. Uh, alarm enjoy. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And they know it. Eat some in his tummy cause they're so good. Yum, farts. America's song. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rick.